Tonight on Huckabee, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, clean comedy favorite Mickey Bell, Zionist Organization of America President Morton Klein, Barry and Darian Amato kick off a lot of Christmas. That's Trey Corley at the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. I hope you and your family are recovering from the caloric overload that you experienced on Thanksgiving Day. Now I know what's happening. You've got piles of leftovers and lots of uneaten turkey, but be creative. Turkey gumbo is one of our favorites, and my Louisiana-born wife did get the know-how from her mother. And turkey salad, ah, that's great, as is turkey chili, turkey tacos, grilled turkey and cheese sandwiches. It's a simple matter of taking what you have and making something good from it. You know, I believe we ought to run the government somewhat like what we do in dealing with Thanksgiving Day leftovers. Instead of whining about the government that we wish we had, we ought to use the one we have, but be creative in making it work. Here's what I mean. Instead of continuing to borrow ridiculous sums of money and boosting the national debt higher than the Sears Tower, Take the money that we actually have collected and limit our budget and spending just to that amount. No more. That's it. Now, here's what it would do. That's what American families do every month. And it's what small businesses owners do to stay in business. And it's also what 49 of the 50 governors do with their state budgets because law requires them to balance their budget every year. Oh, it's not easy, but neither is it impossible. And it's why I'm on the board of the Balanced Budget Amendment Committee. It's comprised of several former and current governors and several former senators, business owners, who are fed up with the debts of our government piling up with no responsible plan whatsoever to ever pay all this back. Now, I've got little to no hope that Congress will ever impose a balanced budget amendment upon themselves but it doesn't leave the American people powerless to make a change. There is a provision in our Constitution, a lot of people don't even know about it, and it allows for the people to propose and pass an amendment to the Constitution. Doing it to force Congress to do what every individual in business has to do, it's not too much to ask. Now, it's not an easy process, and quite frankly, it shouldn't be. But I think it's become a necessary one. The Balanced Budget Committee has already cleared over 30 state legislatures and is very close to the number of states required to pass it in order to then get it ratified and voted on by the citizens to make it the law of the land. Now, let me be very clear. This is not a Democrat or a Republican issue. It just isn't. Because no citizen, regardless of party affiliation, should possibly want to see our nation slide into bankruptcy because of reckless spending often done in order to buy votes by some showy and extravagant spending bill. Spending money that we don't have and borrowing money that we can't afford to pay back, it hurts every American, 
But you know who it mostly hurts? Younger Americans, who are the recipients of the burdensome debt long after there will be any benefit to their generation. So I hope you'll be vocal in supporting the balanced budget amendment and equally vocal to your congressmen and senators in asking them to support a federal mandate to balance the budget just like it currently exists in 49 of the 50 states. As a governor, I would have been breaking the law if I led the state in spending money beyond the budget, as well as the revenues that we had collected. It was sometimes unpopular to have to make cuts to budget items when the economy was in a recession. But that law forced us to be responsible and never be able to obligate future generations for spending money for which there would be no benefit to those future generations. In the meantime, I got a proposal. I propose that Congress pass a law that withholds congressional paychecks until Congress passes a budget and certifies that it is a budget balanced to actual revenues. Why? Hey, folks, it's the way the real world works. And I think it's time Congress is forced to live and work in the real world, just like the rest of us. Well, Senator Rand Paul has been elected three times by the people of Kentucky to serve as United States Senator. He has staked out principled positions on civil liberties, responsible government spending, and he is fearless in taking on government bureaucrats who refuse accountability for the taxpayers' money that they spend. He's even faced violent attempts on his life since becoming a senator. He was president at the ball field when a Bernie Sanders activist shot Congressman Steve Scalise and others. He was physically attacked while walking on the streets of Washington during the 2020 Republican convention. And then the most serious attempt, he was jumped from behind while working in his own yard by a radical leftist neighbor whose cowardly, unprovoked attack almost killed him. Senator Rand Paul took on Dr. Anthony Fauci when others were afraid to do so. He was not afraid. And to prove that he's not afraid of anything, he showed up here at this show. Would you please welcome one of the very best, Senator Rand Paul. You know, one of the things that I've admired about you, you don't do what people expect people to do in Washington. You're not a wholly owned subsidiary of the donor class. And I find that really refreshing, Senator. You know, I actually had a real job before I went to Washington <laughs> and I always tell people, I'm not afraid to be unelected. I'm not afraid to go back to my town, which is about an hour from here and go back to practicing medicine. In fact, sometimes I miss it. Uh, in medicine, you actually can accomplish something. You have a cataract, I can remove it, you see better. In Washington, there's a lot of vision problems, but very few of them are fixable. You know, a, a lot of, well, that's very true. A lot of people don't realize you were a practicing, practicing ophthalmologist and have continued to uh, practice and do mission work uh, when you're out of the Senate and taking recess. A lot of people go and just do fundraisers. And I've known of you going to third world countries and providing surgeries for people that couldn't afford it. I think it's a very admirable way to keep connected with folks. We had a great group of people from the University of Utah. Alan Crandall led the team, and I went on a trip to Guatemala with them. We went to Haiti with them, and then I had a uh, 
another trip to Trinidad and Tobago, and we were all set to go. And then, unfortunately, I had part of my lung taken out from that assault. Yeah. And uh, but uh, I've enjoyed it, and probably there's nothing more rewarding than seeing the look on someone's face, you know, that hasn't been able to see. In our country, most of the time, you have blurry vision, you can't read as well, and you have your cataracts removed, and most people do well. In most of the third world, they have their cataracts removed when they're blind. Mm -hmm. These people are brought in, they're carried in, they walk with a, uh, you know, a, a cane for those who aren't sighted. They are essentially blind from cataracts, but most of them can get their vision back. And to see the look on mm -hmm. someone's face who hasn't been able to see sometimes for years wow. to get their vision back is... It's probably nothing more rewarding than that that I've done in, in my life. Really. What a contrast. You go to places like that, you help people to see. You go to Washington, and there people are willingly blind most of the time to what's going on in the, in the yeah, economy. Yeah, and some people in Washington, some of my colleagues think that we can change Washington with the people who are there. You can't. Yeah. you got to send us new people. you got to send us better people <laughs> because the people there aren't convincible. Yeah. But you need to realize that the problem isn't just Republican versus Democrat. I'll often go to the floor. I was in the, on the floor last night introducing an amendment to cut spending, and I'll say the deficits, the debt is now $33 trillion. Whose fault is it? Republicans? Yes. Democrats? Yes. Hmm. It's both parties. Yeah. They want to spend it on different things, but they're not willing to uh, just spend what comes in. But you're exactly right. State governments all do it. Your local city government does it. And interestingly, in the European Union, we think of these countries as big welfare states and socialist states, much more liberal and bigger government than we have. Most of the countries in the European Union balance their annual budgets. So we've got a real problem. I want us to get into, you've got a brand new book. It's called Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up. This may be one of the most important books that's going to come out this year. And the reason I say that is because every single American was affected by COVID. Whether they got COVID or not wasn't the point. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't go shopping in many of the stores they were used to. They were not allowed to even have a funeral for a loved one. Couldn't do weddings. Our whole culture was disrupted. And in this book, you do an extraordinary level of research in pointing out that, in a nutshell, we were lied to. Yeah, and this was, in the beginning, I, I thought maybe they were just telling us the truth. The scientists came forward and they said, oh, they, this came from nature. But the more we learned about what they were saying in private, they were saying the opposite. In private, they were saying, oh my goodness, it looks like the virus has been manipulated. Oh my goodness, we know it came from a lab in Wuhan where they're doing gain-of-function research. But in public, Anthony Fauci stares me down and says, no, the NIH has never, ever funded gain-of-function research. But it was a lie. And we know it was a lie because he actually, in private, was saying the opposite thing. And so, you know, I, you sometimes wonder, how do you keep doing, how do you keep doing this? So I fly up to Washington on Monday. I come back at the end of the week. I've been married for 33 years. Nice. My wife meets me at the door, and you think, well, maybe I'll get a hug and a kiss and slippers. You know what she says when, I, when she opens the door? What's that? She says, how come Anthony Fauci's not in jail yet? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh. so, so I've got to keep trying. Yeah. But I have sent uh, two referrals to Merrick Garland. Uh, so far, I haven't heard much back. But, I'm uh, shocked, shocked that he hasn't responded to you. Lying favor. to Congress is a felony. Yeah. It's punishable up to five years in prison. And I think what worries people the most as I travel around the country is people come up to me and say, I'm worried that there's two tiers of justice, yeah. that there's no longer equal protection under the law. 
And equal protection is a big deal. I mean, we had civil strife in the 60s because there was a problem. We weren't treating people the same under the law based on the color of their skin. It was something that was a, a big thing that almost led to the destruction of our country. And we got better. We got over it. We, we treat people fairly now in the court system. But now I'm worried that it's not just the color of your skin. It's the shade of your ideology. Mm. Do you homeschool your kids? Are you a Christian? Do you support certain political candidates? And if you do, is there a possibility that you're going to be arrested? Um, so I, I really think that you've got to have the same justice. You can't uh, treat people who worked in the Trump administration one way and then treat people who are in this administration and this, we just look, they just look the other way. It's a real problem. I want us to continue that conversation, especially about the book, because I, I think Americans need to know what you found out that a lot of us suspected, but you were able to document it and put it down. So Senator Ron, Rand Paul is going to stay with us, so don't you go anywhere. Keith Bilbrey? Why don't you tell us what else we have going on for the rest of the evening before we come back with Senator Paul? Well, a little later, president of the Zionist Organization of America, Morton Klein, joins Mike at the desk. Then later, Alex Sinjamana shares the story of how one little Christmas gift changed his life. Don't go away. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on X. And welcome back, everybody. We're visiting with Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. His new book is called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. It is a a powerful, revealing book about what we have not been able to hear. And Senator, one of the reasons that what you're talking about in this book has not been well known is because social media companies and the media, they've covered up for Fauci, covered up for the, uh, for the bureaucrats in the public health world. I think one of the most startling things that I learned in researching the book, and my wife also helped me with the book, is that the cover-up was so pervasive. It wasn't just Anthony Fauci. It's him and a host of scientists. They're talking back and forth. One of them is a guy from England named Jeremy Farrar. He's sort of the Anthony Fauci of England. And there are discussions with he and his wife. And he says he gets 17 phone calls in one night. The phone calls go on into the night. And as they're going back and forth, he's like, his wife says, you need to talk to your, your brother and inform him in case something happens to you. But he never really explains what, what's going to happen to him. If you think it came from nature, who's going? Who, what is the problem? They're assuming that it came from the lab and that if it's revealed, maybe there'll be a danger, I assume, from Chinese spies, the Chinese government, who knows? He buys a burner phone. It's all this secretive stuff. Half the people involved in giving these science grants used to work in the intel community. Mm. The head of Jeremy Farrar's committee, Welcome Trust in England, is a former MI5 intelligence head. There, there are spooks, American and foreign, throughout this whole thing. The problem with this research is it's called dual use. They say, oh, it's just for civilian purposes. We're just developing vaccines. Or maybe secretly, we're also developing it as a weapon. I actually think the best explanation is that the Chinese were trying to develop a vaccine, not a weapon, mm -hmm. and that this escaped accidentally. But we actually know that the first three people that got the virus got it in November of 2019, they worked in the lab for the famous bat scientist, Dr. Mm -hmm. Xi. 
And we know when they got sick, we actually know their names. But the Chinese government covered this up in the very beginning. And even as late as January, three months later, when it's rip-roaring, the hospitals are full, people are sick all over, all over Wuhan, they're saying, oh, it's not really transmittable between humans. They were lying about that that late. But then two weeks later, the Chinese have a vaccine. And people are like, how do you get a vaccine in two weeks? Two months later, the guy that invented the vaccine falls. He takes a fall from the 11th story of a building. We don't know whether he jumped or was pushed. All of this is just happening in China. Mm. But then it gets to our country, and I'm like, we're the land of the free. We're the land yeah. of liberty and transparency. We're going to, we'll explore this. Then the cover-up begins in our country. Understandable in a totalitarian country of China that this would be covered up. But this, the cover-up in our country was so pervasive that it involved at least eight different departments of government and hundreds of people. And people say, oh, yeah, right. How do hundreds of people? No way, a hundred people. I think George Carlin explained it best. The comedian George <laughs> yeah. Carlin. I see you remember who George Carlin is. I certainly was. do. But George Carlin explained it this way. He said, conspiracy theories are not necessary where interests converge. What is the interest? The interest to cover up is if you funded research in China, you don't want anybody to know you yeah. did. Because the research was dangerous. It went around the safety committee. There was a safety committee established that was supposed to examine whether or not this was dangerous or not. Never went to the committee. They went around it. How do they do that? Only with Anthony Fauci's permission. And Anthony Fauci gave his opinion on this way back in 2012. He said, yes, a pandemic could occur from this research, but if it does, the knowledge will be worth the risk. And wow. was so wow. wrong. You confronted him in Senate hearings. I remember it was so courageous and so blunt. And I thought, God bless Rand Paul. Mm for not just sitting back and saying, well, I know that everybody meant well. But there were people who died that might have been helped by some of the uh, modalities like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, and doctors or, or, were told they'd lose their license if they or, used Or it. natural immunity. We've known yeah. about natural immunity since 400 B.C. in the Athenian plague. Yeah. They knew to seclude people who were sick and stay away from people who were sick. We knew about natural immunity. They knew if you had gotten sick that you didn't get it again, or if you did, it was a lesser form. George Washington knew about natural immunity. When Martha wanted to visit him in the camps, he said, Martha, you can't come until you've been inoculated for smallpox. Mm. But he didn't take it. Why? Because he had pox on his face. He had smallpox when he was 15. You didn't need to get vaccinated if you'd already had it. Mm. But we didn't, we didn't recognize that, and they poo-pooed it. But it could have saved lives. For example, when there was no vaccine and there's a nursing home, who would you want to be the nurses in the nursing home to protect your parents from getting it? People have already recovered. Yeah. So you could have easily rotated in and out and put nurses in the nursing homes that had already gotten COVID. I called up President Trump on this, and I called up the doctors in the White House, and I said, put the Secret Service agents around President Trump, the ones who've already had it. Yeah. Because a lot of people get it, and young people were getting it, and they were getting over it two weeks later. Now they're protected. They could protect the president. They could protect the elderly. None of it was done because Anthony Fauci says, oh, we just don't know about this natural immunity thing. Well, we've known about it for 2,000 years. You know, I think part of what has been so frustrating is the, uh, the lies, the cover-ups that have happened, and, and the fact that in all of this, it was more about controlling Americans rather than protecting us. And I wonder, were they just trying to test to see how willing we were to just follow instructions no matter how much they violated our basic it, it, it civil was, liberties. It, it was never about the science. It was about submission. In our state, the governor shut the churches down on Easter Sunday. Mm. They sent government agents to take the license plates of people going to church. 
And a brave federal judge that I voted to confirm, Justin Walker, wrote, he said, the miracle and the mystery of Jesus Christ is not something the government can prevent you from partaking. God bless him and you. This is an important book. I hope you get a copy of it. It's called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. It's easy to respect Senator Rand Paul as one of the most principled members of the world's most exclusive club. This book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up, is available right now, and you should get it and learn more about how he is standing up for your liberty. Even if you don't live in Kentucky, he still is. I hope you'll go to Huckabee.tv. We have all the links to Senator Paul and how to get the book. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to give us the scoop on what's coming up next. Well, coming up, Mickey Bell has a few jokes up his sleeve. And later, we kickstart Christmas with a little song and dance. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Mickey Bell is a former pastor turned author and clean comedian. He's performed with stars ranging from Stephen Curtis Chapman to Shonda Pierce. In fact, we like him so much, we hire him regularly for our pre-show to get our studio audiences laughing. Right now, he's going to do it for all of America. I want you to give a big welcome to one of our favorite comedians, Mickey Bell. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? Good, good, good. My, it's so good to be here on the main show. Uh, this is a beautiful facility, is it not? I love this. I love coming here because this reminds me of Joel Osteen's bathroom right here, and it's, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I really, I really don't know what to do uh, from here on out because we live in an ultra-sensitive world where everybody gets offended about everything. I can't say anything without offending somebody. I, I was up in Detroit, Michigan, and I got off the bus, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and encourage somebody because I figured anyone who lives in Michigan needs to be encouraged. Don't you agree? <laughs> so I got off the bus, and I went up, and I said, I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to encourage them. And so I did. I walked up, and I found an individual, and I just paid them a compliment. All I said was, that's a nice beard you have growing in there. Y'all, that lady got so mad that she just took out, offended. Everybody gets offended about everything. I used to get on stage, and I would tell jokes about my weight. The fat people got offended. And then I started telling jokes about the Catholics who drink, and the Baptists got offended. Then I started telling jokes about the president. The people with dementia got offended. So everywhere I go, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't talk about anything. I can't, well, I can't talk about pronouns anymore because they're changing, and it's affecting everybody. That poor milk chocolate company up in Pennsylvania, have y'all heard they had to change her name? Her, she had to change her name to them, they. It's crazy, y'all. It is crazy. 
oh, goodness. And then, then we, can't, we can't talk about the mask anymore because people get offended. I think some people ought to have to wear a mask because <laughs> some of y'all's breath stink. You know what I'm saying? It's bad. But, I mean, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Just know that the longer you wear that mask, the more oxygen deficiency you have going to your brain. Yeah, and we can all tell it because we'll be able to tell it because you'll be sitting in your car wearing your mask by yourself. We'll know. I was up doing a show up in Iowa. I don't know if y'all knew that, but I was, I'm a foreign missionary and I just got back from Iowa. I was up there doing a show. They were going to have me walk into the hotel there and I saw a guy and he was standing there he was wearing a mask, and he was smoking. But his mask was down under his chin. I guess he didn't want to catch a cold. I don't know. But he was sitting there with a mask on, and he was sitting there smoking. And being a Southern guy, I just walked up. I said, sir, I see you're wearing a mask. And he went, yep. I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, why are you wearing that mask? He went, because that COVID will kill you. It, it just, it's just what it is. It's, it's just crazy, y'all. Then I'm having to get used to everything changing. Everything in this world is changing. And I didn't realize that until my wife and I decided we were going to go buy a new vehicle. Well, the reason we was going to do that is because this is a big year for me. I've been married 25 years this year. And so this is it's big. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 25 years to nine different women. And listen, this is a big year for me. It's big. And we were going to celebrate. We were going to go buy us a new vehicle. Did you know they have a car out there right now because they want the car to do everything for the driver? Everything. And I found out there's a car that has a button. And when you press that button, it will parallel park for you. Are you kidding me right now? Ma'am, do you know how many times I failed my driving test? because my car didn't have a button. <laughs> they want the car to do everything. We got into this brand new car and I looked and I found another button. On the dash, scared me to death because it said rear wiper. <laughs> Not today, Satan. <laughs> it's just some things you need to do for yourself. You understand what I'm telling you? We went into McDonald's the other day. They had me walk up to a box to place my order. They call it a kiosk. That's a German word. It means I want you to do my job for me. I'm sorry. Last time I checked, you're the one getting paid $14 an hour to mess up my order, not me. But I walked up, even though I failed typing in high school, I walked up and placed my order. That box asked for a tip. A tip. I did all the work and the kiosk asked for a tip. Let me tell you who I'm going to tip. The first person that walks into McDonald's that knows how to fix that ice cream machine, that's the person that's getting my money. You hear me? I don't care if they have to come over from Chick-fil-A. It'll be their pleasure to come over there and fix that ice cream machine. Y'all, I'm comedian Mickey Bell. God bless you. Thank you so much.
That was great, Nikki. Thank you, sir. And for every one of us who have ever gone to McDonald's and ordered ice cream and they said the machine is broken, it's we, crazy. we know that. It's Love crazy. the jacket, by Thank the way. Thank you. It was from my grandmother's bathroom. This was her wallpaper. Well, it looks nice on you. Thank you. Hey, if you want to see more of Mickey Bell or book him for your venue or your event, if you want to get his book, it's called Reverse the Course of Depression. Visit Huckabee.tv. We will connect you to Mickey Bell. Right now, something very special is coming up, and Keith Bilbrey is about to tell you about it. Well, coming up next, President of Zionist Organization of America. Then a big Christmas kickoff with We Need a Lot of Christmas. Welcome back. Uh, one of the things we sure love about this show is the music that we get to enjoy. Thanks to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Would you give them a great big hand and thank them? Martin Klein is the child of Holocaust survivors. He's had a distinguished career in biostatistics at UCLA. But Mort Klein is best known as the president of the oldest Zionist organization on the planet the Zionist Organization of America. The ZOA is the premier organization of advocacy for the rights of Jews to live securely in their indigenous homeland of Israel. He's been named one of the five most influential Jewish leaders in the U.S. He's often been cited for having accurately predicted the disaster of the Oslo Accords in which Israel gave up land for peace and ended up with less peace and less land. Please welcome the president of the ZOA, Morton Klein. Mark, so glad to have you here. Great to Thank be you. with you. The horrific terrorist attack on the Jewish people of Israel has shaken the world, but yet we see these crazy things happening, especially on the most elite college campuses where people act like they're supporting Hamas and it's Israel's fault. This has to be troubling for you as a, as a Jewish leader. Uh, it is shocking. And one of the reasons this is happening, I believe, is that the students, the kids, and really many people in America do not know the truth of the Arab Islamic war against Israel, the Jews, and the West. They believe that Israel stole this land from a sovereign Arab country called Palestine. There's never been an Arab country called Palestine. It was a region. In fact, Palestine is a Roman name. How could it be an Arab country if it was named after a Roman name? In fact, Arabs can't even pronounce the letter P. They can't even say Palestine. They say Palestine. And, and this was illegally controlled by Britain in 1917. And in 1937, they offered 95% of Palestine to the Arabs, 5% to the Jews for a two-state solution, 5% for the Jews. The Arabs turned it down. In 1948, the United Nations offered half of Palestine to the Arabs, half to the Jews. They turned it down. 
There were offers of statehood in, in 2000, 2001, 2008, 2010. They've been offered a state four times in the last 20 years, eight times in the last 80 years, rejected every time. When I asked prime ministers, how could they reject these extraordinary offers? Where, by the way, they offer them almost everything that they asked for. They told me that, uh, that the uh, Arafat and then Abbas and before Arafat, they refused to sign an agreement that said we accept Israel as a Jewish state. They said we will never sign that. So the issue is not about land. It's not about statehood. It's about destroying Israel. In fact, Hamas's charter, Article 7, calls for the murder of every Jew in the world, Article 7. Mm. Article 13 for the destruction of Israel. And uh, your audience should know, the co-founder of Hamas, Mahmoud al-Zahar, this week on internet said, we want the world to know this is not just about the Jews of Israel. They're first, but next we're coming after the despicable Christians. This is a week ago. Mm. And then after we get rid of the Christians, then we're going to impose Sharia law, Islamic law onto the whole world. And Al-Azhar University, which is the most distinguished place of learning for Islam, issued a fatwa on October 19th, a religious edict, saying it is legitimate to kill every Jew in Israel. Mm. This is a religious war where they will not accept non-Muslims in, in, in their midst, and their goal is ultimately to establish a caliphate, an Islamic uh, caliphate throughout the whole world. They control 644 times the landmass that Israel has. I know you've got a map. I want you to hold that up. The orange are the 23 Arab countries. The yellow, which you cannot see, is Israel, which is smaller than the state of New Jersey. Uh, the Arab world is six to 700 times the size of Israel. And yet they're saying Israel must give up more land. Israel is offered more land. They won't take it if it means accepting a Jewish state. In fact, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, has refused for 13 years to even sit down and negotiate. He won't negotiate. And this yesterday, he publicly stated, we will not give up an inch of any part of Palestine, meaning Israel or Jerusalem. They have no interest in peace. They have an interest in destroying the Jewish state first. And as Mahmoud al-Zahar said, co-founder of Hamas, first the Saturday people, next the Sunday people. And I think Americans aren't aware no. that the target doesn't end with the Jews. What can we do? I mean, you have been one of the most outspoken voices uh, crying in the wilderness sometimes. But you've been bold and talking about that this is coming from a long time ago. What can the average American watching us now, what can they do? Well, it's hard because they have to learn the truth of the Arab-Islamic war against the Jews in the West. <laughs> One of the big problems is Israeli officials, I have to criticize them, Jewish leaders <laughs> and rabbis have refused to tell the truth about these issues, that there's no occupation of Arab land, there's never been an Arab country of Palestine, it was a region, that Jerusalem is not holy to Muslims. How about this? The Koran never mentions the word Jerusalem in the Jewish holy book 700 times. The majority of people living in Jerusalem from the mid-1800s until now have been Jews. And yet, when I ask Israeli officials to make these things clear, that this is a, 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 an interest to destroy the state of Israel. In fact, let me show you another picture. This is the emblem commissioned by the Palestinian Authority now uh, 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 for the Palestinian Authority. You notice it's a shape of all of Israel with a kafia over all of it, not just the West Bank and Gaza and Eastern Jerusalem. Arafat in the center, Kalishnikov rifle. Is this the, the, the commissioned emblem 
that one would choose if you want peace with the Jewish state, they show clearly their goal is Israel's destruction first, and then they want to go after America. And Iran says repeatedly, death to America, death to Israel. Death to the big Satan, America, death to the little Satan, Israel. You're one of the most effective and important voices that we have on this subject. It's why I love the ZOA. I love what you do. I love your effectiveness. And I want to say to our audience, the Zion Organization of America, the ZOA, is the most effective as well as the oldest pro-Zionist organization in the world. I hope you want to learn more about them and access volumes of information about Israel and what Morton Klein has talked about. Here's how to do it. If you go to Huckabee.tv, we will link you directly to ZOA and the conversations that we've had here. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us what's coming up on the show. Keith? Well, after the break, how a simple shoebox changed the life in a big way. That's next on Huckabee. TV and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. With Operation Christmas Child in full swing, Samaritan's Purse is spreading love again this year by distributing shoeboxes across the world to children in need. Since 1993, more than 200 million children in over 170 countries have received a box from Operation Christmas Child. When he was just five years old, Alex Sinjamana saw militants kill his uncle and grandmother during the Rwandan genocide. His family fled, miraculously escaping death numerous times. Then while in an orphanage, he received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox of gifts from Samaritan's Purse. It showed him that someone cared about him, that God cared. And it led him to accept Christ and eventually forgive the man who killed his uncle. Please welcome Alex Sinjamana. Alex, so nice to have you here. I was telling you before the show, I was in Rwanda in 2008. It was just a few years after the genocide. The effects of that are just unfathomable. I cannot imagine someone having lived through it and been able to forgive the person who killed members of your family. How did you, how did you come to the place where you could do that? When I uh, was experiencing that genocide against the Tutsi trap that broke out, my grandmother and one of my uncles were both killed. So me and my brother and my sister, we found ourselves running from place to place. It was during this time that I was running that God was doing so many miracles to protect me and my brother and my sister. For example, when he would be running um, and I would uh, fall and a bullet would miss my head. Hmm. And when a man's weapon didn't load, when he went to pull the trigger, instead his uh, gun didn't work. Miracles after miracles. But I did not see those moments as God's miracles because I didn't have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. It was after the genocide I was put in an orphanage I get into this orphanage and I was living with the 250 other kids and all of us had lost all hope. 
And one of the most powerful moments was when uh, Samaritan's Purse was in Rwanda already responding to what was happening. And they brought Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes a year later. And for the very first time in my life, I got a gift. And it was an, uh, an Operation Christmas Child Shoebox. You'd never had a Christmas gift? Never, never received Ever. a gift in my life before. And my very first gift was an, uh, a, a shoebox gift from, from Operation Christmas Child. You know, all across America, people in churches are putting their mm-hmm. Christmas child boxes together. And they probably think, you know, what is this going to mean to someone? Yeah. You are living proof yeah. that that shoebox filled with some simple toys and, mm-hmm. and gifts yeah. can change a life. It sure does. Because when I received that shoebox gift... Uh, I was so excited to receive the tangible items that tangible items demonstrate God's love for me in my life. But God planted a seed of hope and love of Jesus Christ in my life. So the seed of the gospel was planted. It was a year later that God sent me people to disciple me. And through that discipleship in my life, that's when I started to realize, does God love me? Does God care? Where was he when all the million people were being killed in Rwanda? It was during this time that I was reading God's word and telling me that God had a plan for my life and realizing that his presence was with me along the way from the day I was born. And uh, that's when I gave my life to the Lord. Mm. And years later, the people who came in my life to disciple me helped me realize that actually, even though I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was still living in bondage of bitterness and anger because I wanted to do exactly the same thing that those men did to my grandmother and my uncle. So I started to pray this audacious prayer. Lord, help me to heal that one day I can be able to see them. And it took about 12 years. Mm. And within those 12 years, I got adopted into a family in the United States, lived in Minnesota. Now I currently live in North Carolina serving with the Operation of Christmas Child. But in 2013, we went back to Rwanda with the Operation of Christmas Child to deliver shoeboxes in the same orphanage that I grew up in. And that was a powerful moment in itself. But God answered that prayer. And... um, I, that, I answered that prayer that I've been praying for over 12 years. And I went to the prison. We found out that the guy who had killed my grandmother fled, but the guy who had killed my uncle was still there. And it was through a divine appointment that it, was, it would have taken about three weeks. But in about three hours, we had all the paperwork, all the permission. And I found myself sitting across the, street, across the table from this guy and asking him, do you remember me? And he would say, I don't remember specifically, but I remember three children being there especially the older girl, he said. The older girl was my sister. And in that moment, I was in tears. I was, um, mm. I was lost. But in that moment, that's when I realized that my healing process, God had taken it to a different level. Now, I shared this with, to give God the glory for what he's done in my life, transforming me and using an Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gift to plant that seed when I was seven years old, living in an orphanage. And these are, this is the type of the gospel. This is the gospel that is sent with it and every shoebox gift that is packed. And many people around the country are packing. And this year we have a, a goal of packing 11 million shoeboxes. Mm-hmm. That is 11 million children who are going to hear the gospel just like I did when I was a little boy. What happens in your heart when you see children who look like you looked yeah. several years ago? When I see the children receiving Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gift, I'm always excited mm-hmm. because... Today, when children receive the shoeboxes through their local church, they get to hear the gospel and they receive the shoebox gift and it demonstrates that love. It excites me seeing the videos, seeing the faces. I've been to, to back to Rwanda to see the mm. kids receive shoeboxes in, 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 in Namibia. But it excites me. What excites me is that once they receive the shoebox, they get to hear the gospel. And then there's a, a, a follow-up. We have a, um, a 12-week discipleship lesson called The Greatest Journey. 
And so those kids, many of them are invited back to their church to be discipled. And so evangelism takes place through the Chubaks. Discipleship takes place through the greatest journey and multiplication of God's kingdom happens and kids are responding to the gospel. Since, since 2009, when the greatest journey was developed, over 17 million children have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and said. 17, 17 million. 17 million children. Alex, it is one of the greatest stories of outreach it's one of the reasons I love the ministries, so many of them, of Samaritan's Purse, and this one is so powerful. Amen. This Christmas, you can give joy and hope to kids just like Alex. If you'll call the number on your screen, or you can scan the QR code that's right on your screen for more information. And you can create and build a shoebox online for a needy child, and they'll send it for you. I promise it is the best gift you will ever give. We thank you for supporting this wonderful program. You see firsthand what power there is behind it. Speaking of good news, Keith is going to use his many gifts to give us the good news of what's next. Well, after the break, we kick the Christmas season off in style. A special theatrical performance from We Need a Lot of Christmas is next. Don't go away. are with us, along with the world-class illusions of Jordan Whitten. And welcome back, everybody. Barry and Darianne Amato are a husband-wife team who produce incredible shows for top venues like Dollywood. Now, on November the 24th, their hit dinner show, We Need a Lot of Christmas, returns to Fiddle D Farms in Greenbrier, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. I hope you will give a big holiday welcome back to Barry and Darianne Amato. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. We are excited to have you back. You just wowed us last year. But tell us what folks can expect to see when they come to the show, We Need a Lot of Christmas. Well, we want folks to walk away with a full experience. So by the time that you walk onto the property of Fiddle D Farms, from the time you walk into the door to the time you leave, it is like a full experience with the dinner, mm. the decorations, the show. So it's something that we really want people to take away as part of a new tradition for themselves here in Nashville. Well, we hope that they will do that. And uh, Keith, our guests are going to prepare to get us in a merry mood. While they're doing that, you can tell us how to get tickets to We Need a Lot of Christmas. Well, just go to Huckabee.tv to find a link to Fiddle D Farms and make your dinner and show reservations. But hurry, it's selling out fast. Now to usher in the holidays with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, here's the cast of We Need a Lot of Christmas.
Christmas spirit with you all. If you know the words, we want to invite you to sing along with us. Hey, Barry, come on, man. Let's sing it, with man. me. Here we go. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one more open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one more open sleigh. On Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Old St. Nicholas, he took a flight. The moon was shining bright. Ring out the bells. Old St. Nicholas, a thought. You should have seen those reindeer fly. Ring out the bells. Ring out the bells, it's a holiday season. Ring out the bells. Ring out the bells, it's a happy time. Ring out the bells. Bell, for we have a good reason. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 